This is the Dice Tower Network, adding games to your wish list since 2005. The home of smart people, insightful board gaming commentary, and Luke Hector. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. The Broken Meeple, Season 2, Episode 2, Cooperation. Welcome to The Broken Meeple, a show devoted to board and card games, recorded on 20th of November 2016. Today it's all about cooperation games. First I discuss an argument that has been said about my favourite genre of all time, and then I get to my top 10 co-op games of all time. Hello everyone, thanks for tuning in. My name's Luke Hector and this is The Broken Meeple, still going strong with the new season in the same format as I said before. Yes, the first episode was only a week ago and already I feel like doing episode 2. Now, I'm not going to be doing it weekly all the time. I mean, the Dice Tower struggle to do that as it is, let alone me. But occasionally when I just think of a topic or I just feel like recording or when I get a spare 30 minutes, I'll, you know, actually try and pump out some content. So we'll see. 30 minutes? I need a bit more than that, but you know what I mean. And on this occasion, this episode has basically been drummed up because of an argument that I've, you know, a friendly argument, but a friendly discussion that I've had with a couple of people of late. Basically, if you know my blog and if you know my type of games, you'll know that cooperative games are my favourite genre. Without a shadow of a doubt, there is no contest. If you look at my top 100, you will see a ton of co-op games. If you look at the ones I've rated on Board Game Geek, you will see I have played a lot of co-op games. I really enjoy this genre. And for reasons, there's several of them, but to put the main ones into perspective, that tends to be the social interaction. After all, you're playing games to have a social time with your friends and other people you've never met. And a co-op game actually gets you talking. It gets you interacting with everyone. And they also tend to have the strongest theme. You know, a dry co-op game isn't going to impress me as much as a thematic one. But those are few and far between. Most of the time, a co-op game will have a juicy, rich theme that surrounds it. One that gets you role-playing, one that gets you immersed in the experience, and one that you just want to come back to again and again and again. This genre is always going to be my top one. Never, No questions, it's never going to change, I don't see. Unless they invent an entirely new genre that manages to surpass it, but I don't quite see where they're going to get that from. Now, co-ops are not for everybody. I do understand that. A lot of people like the competitive nature of games and therefore want to be beaten on other players rather than on the game itself. I totally understand that. It's really not hard to see why a lot of people would be like that. And, I mean, my dad doesn't like co-op games. I've only introduced the parents to a few modern ones, but generally when we tried co-op games, my dad wasn't as keen. He always liked the competitive nature of games, and so, you know, when we tried to show him things like Pandemic, for example, it didn't really work. Sorry, but, you know, my brother did try. That was a good call, but unfortunately didn't work out. And... You know, that's fine. I've got no problem with that. I like competitive games as well. It's not like I only like games where you work together. But for team building, for interaction, for just getting to know people, or even just to have a game where you're not literally staring at the board going, Let me think. Let me think for the foreseeable future. 
Two pink cubes make a green cube. Two pink cubes make a green cube. Abort, retry, fail. You know, is not all Euro games are like that, but certainly, you know, the really heavy stuff, the ones that have got no theme and are literally just play mechanics with strategy or something, is basically like that. Whereas the social interaction in an 18xx game, God knows where I see it, but that's my reason for it. I do love co-ops for interaction and theme. So what's this argument about? Well... I've had two people say this to me, and I'll bet money that I'm not, these aren't the only two people that have said it, but I've spoken with Paul Grogan from Gaming Rules, and I've also spoken with uh, somebody from my gaming group in Southampton. Now, both of them like similar games. They tend to like the, the heavy Euros, they don't really care about theme, you know, the drier the Euro the better. I mean, they will happily jump on things like Food Chain Magnate and Antigua 2 and Madeira and all the games that care a little bit more about just having some mechanics that work. Well, with the exception of Food Chain Magnate, that's just garbage. Um, and, you know, games, compared to games with theme, they're not too fussed about. But they've both said this comment about co-ops. They asked me if, if you knew, if the cards came out in a certain way, would that make the co-op impossible? So basically what they're trying to say is, would, are co-ops impossible if the game just happens to hate you that day? Now I can see where they're coming from. A lot of the co-op games will rely on some dice rolls and they will rely on some random card draw. And you will get times where you will draw some cards out of a deck. Let's take the Legendary series for example. And sometimes the worst stuff comes out at the worst time or straight away for example. And it will mess up your day. But here's my thing on this. You could say this about any game I think out there. Any genre. Co-ops have that element, but then so do random dice games, and so do some Euro games. Some Euro games have a random element, and, you know, that element might just completely go against you when you least expect it, and therefore you're done. Uh, even some of the games which claim to have no strategy, sorry, no luck involved and are just strategy, turn order might just be the thing that screws you over. You haven't got a choice about it, it just happens that because of the turn order, you get screwed out of what you need. Concordia, you know, those scoring cards. You might be doing fairly well, but then, you know, basically the order that the cards come out to play dictates the fact that you don't get a chance to buy them before someone else does. Well, there goes your score for the whole game. There's a lot of arguments that you can do to counteract that. And also, I'm not over-analyzing what cards come out of a co-op whenever I finish the game. I mean, if we get beaten down hard, we get beaten down hard, but we enjoy the experience getting there. That's the point. You know, I mentioned the theme and the rich immersion. It doesn't matter if you play a game of Eldritch or Arkham Horror and Cthulhu basically sucks out your souls and leaves you hanging to dry within about the space of an hour. It's the fun you have getting there because of all those encounter cards and all the, the storytelling that is done within and even the role-playing that people do whenever they get given a unique character. That bit is still fun. It doesn't matter that the game beat me. I mean, in a Euro game, you know, you might get beaten and become last or something. And does that bother you when you play a Euro? Well, sort of, if you're stuck there for four hours with no chance of winning. But I digress. But I don't mind that with a co-op. Yes, I play Legendary Alien Encounters, for example. And then, you know, we go through the first module and it beats us down like crazy. You know, the aliens come out and they swarm all over us and it is literally just us screaming, you know, you know, Marines, we are leaving or something. And it, it's still good fun. Granted, it's a little bit more fun if you do actually win, especially by the skin of your teeth, but it's the story and the experience. And I don't think that 
I'm going to be sat there thinking, hmm, well, if the cards came out in this way, that represents a 62% likelihood that we would lose this game. And oh no, in this game, the cards came out with the bad stuff in advance, therefore there is only a 23.3% of survival. You know, we're not C-3PO or Crichton. You know, it is possible to play a game without having to overanalyze these things. And there's only going to be so many times where the cards might come out in such a way that it would be considered, you know, impossible to beat. But then you can rise up against it. Best example would be the first game I played of Legendary Gas Firefly, the newish one. I started the the starter scenario, so the first three episodes, and I played a solo game. I was playing Kaylee, who repairs ships, and the first card that came out of that um episode deck that I scanned was the biggest baddie that you can come across in the first, like, objective of, you know, the first episode. So, basically, first card, and I get the Alliance ship. It's something like ten fight, you can't possibly beat it without some serious fight cards, and I'm like, oh my god, how on earth am I supposed to beat this? This does seem impossible. But Perseverance, I kept the card in the, in those five, like, you know, space bits, you know, for as long as possible, so that it never actually got to shoot me for a while, whilst I built up, and then when it finally did end up in the combat zone, yes, it did beat on me for a while and I took some ship damage. But I was playing Kaylee, so I was able to repair one or two bits of ship damage as well, which certainly helped in that front. Um, a side objective helped me get some more talents in my deck, which meant, again, was able to hold off the damage a little bit. And then, in the thematic sense, that Crybaby uh, card came out, which I then combined with other stuff I had in my hand, and I was able to evade the Alliance ship. And, you know, that was when it came out on the first card. Granted, maybe if I was using a different character, it might not have gone that way. But the fact that you can end up with impossible odds and still pull through has got to be worth it. Okay, so it may have gone south if it was a different character. Well, that's life. It does go that way. You might play a Euro game, try some tactic, it completely blows up in your face, and you've just wasted the next three hours sitting there when you've got no chance to win. Oh, well, hey, that's life. You know, start again and try another one. At least these co-ops never take three hours to play. Well, with the exception of a large game of Eldritch Horror, maybe. But no, no, don't go above five players for that reason. And But most co-ops will be done within, say, 30 to 90 minutes, the vast majority of them. You might get the odd one, Robertson Crusoe, and maybe some lengthy games of Eldritch Nat, which will take more than two, which will take about two hours, fine. And Mansions of Madness, whew, how long does that one go? But that's fine, at least you're having good, good fun and social interaction while you play it. But what winds me up a little bit on the subject is that they'll use this argument of, oh well, you know, if it doesn't go your way it's impossible, therefore what's the point playing? And then they shut down the entire genre for it, but then still play other games. What if you applied this to a different genre? Dice games, for example. Let's, let's take King of Tokyo. You play King of Tokyo, you might roll those dice and consistently get something that you didn't want every time. You needed to fight, you didn't get it. You wanted those points, you missed out. You wanted to heal, you didn't, and you just got beaten down. Well, do you dismiss the entire dice genre then, just because of that random element? You know, the dice rolled in such a way that it was impossible for you to win the game. Does that make the experience any less fun? Does it mean that you don't get to roleplay being giant monsters and beating down another players? Or do you just dismiss the entire genre? Well, I know some people do dismiss the entire dice game genre, but, oh well, go back to your 18xx game, why don't you? And it's, I don't see how I would dismiss entire genres for it. If you don't like working together, then 
why not? But still, fine, you know, go, you know, stick to competitive games and you'll be fine. You know, there's plenty of people that do like co-ops. And certainly, if I can't find the players to play a co-op game, well, one advantage of co-op games, that's a huge one, is that you can play a lot of them solo. Most of them will generally cater for a solo player, and if they don't originally, then, well, you just control multiple characters, and there you are, you have a solo game. Most competitive games don't have this facility without having a completely different set of rules that you've got to learn in order to do the solo mode. They're alright, but the co-op... Just nice and easy. The rules half the time are exactly the same. It's just a case of, well, if I can't find three human players to do it, then I'll just control three characters. Same rules, same game, same amount of fun. And it, well, maybe slightly less fun. It is always better to play in a group than play solo, but it's still fun. So that's kind of my views on it. I don't think that argument is enough reason to dismiss the entire genre of co-ops. And certainly I don't think that the majority of the time you end up with a situation where it is just physically impossible and yet don't enjoy the journey to get there if you don't care about theme and immersion then yeah fair enough that's just going to be you've got no chance really of liking co-ops because it's all about the theme and immersion in those if you don't like the fact that it can be fairly random and theme is a complete secondary thing to you then well co-ops are probably not going to be your genre because there's very few out there that don't rely on those but that's cool. But I just think, you know, there are better reasons to say that you may not like a co-op genre than simply going, oh, sometimes it's impossible and I don't like it. Doesn't really sit well with me. So now that my piece has been said on that, let's quickly run through a top 10 list. Yes, it has been a little while since I've done one of these, I think. I don't know. I like doing top 10 lists anyway. And one that I did ages ago, I think episode 12 in season 1 was the last time I did this, my top 10 cooperative games. And things have changed a little bit since then, although not entirely. There are some similarities, but we'll see how this goes. I haven't looked at my last list for when I did the top 10 co-op, so I have no idea how that list panned out compared to this. I don't even have a geek list for it. So this is going to be a nice up-to-date list of co-op games as of November 2016. And there's some really juicy titles on there, and this was a tough list to make. I love genre, I love this genre. You know, I could come up with a top 20 easily. Hell, I could probably do a top 30 if I wanted and still have 30 great co-op games that I would happily play. But I'm trying to keep the podcast shorter, so we're going to stick to 10 and we're not going to spend five minutes on every game if I can help it. So this is a bit of an experiment, but let's see how things go. Anyway, so top 10 co-op games. And number 10 is going to shock a lot of people because I once called this game overrated and I've apologised profusely for doing so because I then played it more as a solo player rather than as a four player monstrosity and I had to admit I was wrong. Handheld high, I was really wrong about this. I've now had a chance to play it more solo. I've even bought the second edition version of this game with some upgraded components. And best of all, that's rulebook because the old rulebook was just abysmal. This one is it's not perfect, but it's still a lot easier to learn the game, particularly if you combine it with Rodney's Watch It Played. No, that's not a shameful plug. It's literally bolted on the side of the box saying Watch It Played. But this one is Robinson Crusoe, a Euro co-op game in a sense, but still writ with theme. And that's what drew me back to it when I almost gave up on it. It is very strong in that category. And it depends what scenario you play. 
You could be washed up on the shore and you have to find wood and set a fire so you can get rescued whilst battling the weather. You might be surviving against cannibals. You might be starting a family, Robinson Crusoe, Swiss Family Robinson style, sorry. Uh, you might be Indiana Jones and you're leaping on there to fight on Volcano Island before it erupts. And there's even a weird scenario where you've got King Kong running around. It's really cool and how each game is different how you play it. But boy, is this a hard one. Do not get this game if you don't like losing because this one will beat you down. Even when you think that you're in an upper, you know, you're in the clear... It will then beat you down. It is so hard. Possibly the hardest game I have ever played as a co-op to beat. But yesterday night, Castaways, I beat it. Oh yes, I got that wood and I burned it. Burned. Last round, uh, just just got in there. Managed to complete it. It's taken me God knows how many attempts to get through that scenario. And it's the only time I've actually won the game, to be honest. You know, Robinson Crusoe in general. It's that hard. But this is slowly climbing up the charts for me i'm enjoying it more and more maybe it will get higher in the long run maybe it will rise even higher in my top 100 over time we'll see but i'm glad i gave this one a second chance robinson crusoe my number 10 But number 9, if you discount the new Arkham Horror LCG, which I have not had a chance to play as of this podcast recording, is the newest entry in the sort of Cthulhu Mythos co-op genre, shall we call it. And I say new, it is technically a reprint, but it's such a good reprint that it's now popped onto my top 10 list, and that is Mansions of Madness, the second edition specifically. The first one was okay, it was rich in theme and it was a good little story, but it was very fiddly, it was very puzzly, and you know, it was very clunky, it just grinded to a halt at times, it just didn't work as well as I would like. Now, this second edition reprint, wow, I mean, okay, yes, the component quality is hit and miss. Those bases that you have to put the tiles into for the monsters, they could have been better designed, you know, they're a little chintzy and it's very difficult to actually get the tiles in those wretched things. But other than that, the figures look great and the boards are great, they look richly detailed, but what really sells this is the app. The fact that all that clunkiness from before is now handled by the app to tell the story, to set the musical ambiance, to track where things are and what you do, to tell a story, to tell that like the beginning and end and chapters and that, and even to give you a narrative as to what you're doing in combat. That's one thing that really is missing from a lot of games. You know, when you go to attack the cultists, for example, it will say, what are you attacking with? Okay, I'm attacking with a heavy weapon. And then it will say, like, you know, you swing your heavy weapon to, you know, sweep the feet of the cultists from underneath and something. And, and then you fail the roll and it's like he grabs it and then smacks you on the head or something. You know, um, that's a simplistic example, but it does do that. It gives you this story and it keeps you immersed. It could be shorter. It does take a long time to play this, particularly with new players, if you do sit around sort of dawdling. But, generally, even as a solo game as well, this is great fun and I'm enjoying it more and more. Mansions of Madness, number 9. Number 8, some people say, is the reason to play Dixit. I don't agree with that, because Dixit is already a fun party game. But Mysterium is definitely a great way to twist the mechanics of Dixit into a co-op game. It's effectively combining Dixit with Cluedo. You know, you've got that same scenario where somebody's been murdered and you're trying to figure out who did it, what with, and where. Same as Cluedo. Except now, the person who was murdered is a ghost and is helping you figure out what they are based on Dixit cards, which are dreams. 
And so the ghost must give you these Dixit style like artwork cards in order to try and lead you on to who each character has got their own sort of person, location and weapon. And the ghost is giving you cards to lead you on to which ones they would be. You can discuss it among each other. The ghost cannot talk. So he's constantly got to sit there like, here's your card. Come on, no, 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 that one. That's what I meant. So, yes, you're on the right track. No, you shut up. You shut up. And this is all in his head. So he can't talk, but, oh, it's stressful being the ghost, but it's so much fun just to try and think, oh, will they understand what I'm going on about this? Is this too cryptic? Is this too obvious? I don't know. And you're cursing people who lead them off on other tangents, but even if you're not the ghost, just trying to get in his head and think, what on earth is he on when he's giving me this card? What's this pointing me towards? Great amount of fun. Yeah, granted, the whole mechanic with the sort of guessing whether opponents have, I'm sorry, whether your teammates have got it right or wrong and the final phase is a little bit weird. I wish that was slightly changed, but I don't mind it too much. It's not enough to break the game. I certainly enjoy that part, but I really love the aspect of cooperating with each other and figuring out your free main cards and then doing it all with Dixit style. It's a great one, Mysterium number eight. Number seven, well, we mentioned Mansions of Madness, and I've mentioned this game already in passing. This one, though, is my current pick of the Cthulhu Mythos, and that is Eldritch Horror. Now, I still own the entire Arkham Horror collection, and spoiler alert, it's not on this top ten. But Arkham Horror, I haven't got to the table in donkey's years. I mean, it is so hard to get to the table because of everything that's in it. But I do own it and I still would love to play it again because I think it's that enjoyable. I think it's actually got more deep dark theme in that than Eldritch Horror does. But in terms of getting Eldritch Horror to the table and the variety it now has with some expansions and just the that kind of the ease of accessibility for a lot of players, this one takes the top 10 list spot. And it is great. It is basically Arkham Horror on a worldwide scale. You're going around different countries, you're trying to shut down portals, you're beating up monsters, but the main crux is that you get to have all these weird and wonderful encounters. And with the expansions out, you could be having encounters in cities, wilderness, uh, you could have them in different you know, gate realms, you could be on specific expedition ones where you go to places like Antarctica or the Himalayas, for example, and, and get into some really in-depth encounters, you know, almost like being like Tomb Raider or Indiana Jones, and you've got lots of different enemies, all of which twist the game in various ways, you know, and the mystery cards are all varied, so there's multiple ways to play against the same Elder God, if that makes sense. It's a really good, rich, deep storytelling game. Now, it can go a bit long, and I do prefer to play this with a max of four players as a result, but even as a solo game, again, I've enjoyed this, and to be fair, I've yet to lose this game as a solo player. I think it actually gets a bit easier when you have less investigators. I might have to try having four investigators as a solo player and see what happens. But, you know, I did lose a game, well, we didn't technically lose, we were timed out, but I think we would have lost, where we were doing a five-player against Cthulhu, and we just could not get past the first mystery with that annoying city that sprouted up in the middle of the water. But, you know, it's still fun regardless. We role-played the characters, we had fun with the encounters. It's a great one. Personally, my pick for all those Cthulhu ones. So, spoiler alert, no more Cthulhu for this top ten. Eldritch Horror number seven. My number six is one of the legendary games. Now, there is technically 
a lot of legendary games and you could say that they're all the same thing but some of them are different enough that I think they warrant splitting up on the list and this is the first of them there is another one on this list to come and this one is legendary marvel this is basically your wet dream if you are a Marvel fan. You get to have your team of superheroes from what is a colossal amount of them in the roster now. You know, the expansions have just gone to Hail Mary with this. And you get to send them up against a villain mastermind. You get to recreate lots of different, you know, themes and stories from the comics and the films based on the schemes you use. And you can have whatever team you like against whatever villain you like. It's, and you can have even villains against a particular hero commander if you want, you know, turn it on its head. The expansions have all been solid. It's not the most thematic superhero game out there because there is that slight disconnect with the fact that you're deck building. And deck building does sometimes remove a little bit of the theme. But generally, just assume it's something like the Avengers, you know, or Captain America Civil War, where you've got a group of superheroes. And every time you play a card, it's that hero jumping in to do something. You know, and that tends to work fine. The expansions have, for the most part, been solid. There have been a couple of duds. I wasn't a fan of Fear itself. Uh, Secret Wars was fine, but unless you... I mean, I've not read the Secret War comics, so a lot of the characters don't make sense to me. And I haven't been that impressed with the Deadpool one that came out recently as a mini-expansion, but then Deadpool's not my favourite superhero either, and again, I've not read the comics, so that doesn't help. But there have been some great expansions like the Civil War one and even just the ones in the original sets. You know, the Fantastic Four, the Spider-Man, the Guardians of the Galaxy, the Dark City and the Villains one even. The Villains one was a pretty good set. So there's a lot of stuff for this game and if you like Marvel, you need to check this one out. It's pretty much a chewing. If you like Marvel, you'll like this game. It's as simple as that. Legendary Marvel number six. Number five is the next legendary game on this list. Yay, straight after six, because it was very difficult to tell these two apart, but this one takes the, you know, gets a little bit of a leg up because of the theme, the franchise it's based on, and the way that the encounters system differs from how the Marvel one works. I think the changes to how the, the, you know, opponent, the game deck or whatever comes out, I think was better in encounters than it was in Marvel. This one is my favorite of all the ones that there have been. There's been at least, I think, four. Yes, I think there's been four so far, and there's going to be more. But this is my pick, and that's Alien Legendary Encounters. The Alien franchise is one that I love. I love the movies, and I will still, to this day, say that the best horror film that has ever come out, ever, is Alien, the original one. For atmosphere, for acting, for, you know, effects, for suspense. Not so much gore that it's just basically a gore fest, you know. But, oh, yeah, the original Alien film knew what it was doing, and it was beautiful. And I just love the Alien franchise anyway, even the action stuff. I've read some of the books. I've played all the PC games. I love the multiplayer on the PC games. Alien Isolation is just, oh, such a good game. You must play it. Anyway, I'm supposed to be talking about board games. Yeah, the Alien Legendary Encounters, it functions like Marvel Legendary. So you've got your deck building aspect and you are using a collection of characters. But you're fighting up against aliens and the way that the the sort of hive deck comes out where everything's hidden and you have to scan the cards in order to find out what's there. So it could be an alien in disguise, it could be an event, it could be the objective you're looking for. And that's another thing that I like. 
This one has objectives. So you're not just simply trying to get to the end of the deck. You're trying to find specific things and then do stuff with them. And the theme in this is really good. I mean, it's better than the Marvel one. For example, you might play in the Alien Resurrection module. And then in the second phase of, you know, they usually come in three decks. In the second deck, you'll start getting cards that flood the various areas, just like in the film. And if you have aliens that are in that, they become harder to kill or more powerful or bad things happen. And, you know, slowly but surely more stuff will get flooded. And, oh, it just works so well for what is a deck builder. So if you like Alien and you like deck building, again, this is a shoe-in. It really took the Alien franchise and made it thematic in a deck builder, which is pretty impressive that of itself to make a deck builder thematic. Legendary Encounters Alien number 5. My number four is one of my favorite gateway games to teach to new players, particularly in the co-op genre. Now, there are some co-ops that I like better than this, obviously, but for gateway, I think this is my favorite co-op to teach for new players, and that is Flashpoint Fire Rescue. Still going strong, this was the first game I ever reviewed on the Broken Meeple block, and I still love it to this day. That was three and a half years ago, and I still love this game. It's solid. It just... Yes, it's random, but then so is fire. You know, you can't predict fire. It ha- it will spring up randomly. It will suddenly flare out of control at a moment's notice. That's pretty thematic, in my opinion. But the rules are simple. You know, people who claim that the rules are convoluted, seriously, come on, you can't handle a few action point tokens. It's not that difficult. And even if you do think it's going to be too hard for Gateway, then just play the family game, which is dirt simple, and gets you into the thick of it. But with all the extra maps out, the Extreme Danger expansion, which was just fantastic, you know, adding ladders and multiple stories to buildings and all these other cool little bits and bobs, it and all the roles you can get now, you can play a variety of different firefighters. I think this game is really solid. This is one of the best in the co-op genre. Certainly, I think, my favorite for teaching new players. Now, it may not be the simplest thing to teach new players. I mean, you've got things like Forbidden Desert, for example, which, spoiler alert, doesn't make this list, but would probably make a top 20. Uh, that is easier to teach. And certainly, I like to pull out Forbidden Desert for teaching Gateway, ideally. But this one is perfectly good as well if you stick to the family edition or if you think that they'll get it play the normal version i mean it's not a difficult game to grasp when you just play the base set but oh I, I do like this good theme people role play it people get into that firefighting theme it just sings well with me and i think we need more games in general not just co-ops but games in general that deal with like emergency services you know firefighting you know medical uh the you know police force that kind of thing i think we need more games that use those because there just aren't enough at the moment you know can we like get away from the fantasy and the zombies and the same old stuff that we keep seeing all the time you know no more pirates please you know just Tackle some of the emergency services stuff. I think they would make some good games. Anyway, number four, Flashpoint Fire Rescue. My number three I found so entertaining that not only did it hit the top ten in my Broken Meeple Top 100, but it also got me playing the PC game finally, and that is XCOM, the board game. It was because of this that I finally decided to bite the bullet and play the PC game. I just didn't have a lot of time for a lot of PC games and I thought, well, am I going to like it? I don't know. I like this sort of turn-based combat that I've been done, but I don't know if I'll like the rest of it. But I enjoyed this game so much that I went and played it and loved it. I have now completed XCOM and XCOM 2. Love both games. They're brilliant. You should try them. But as for the board game, 
it's a great representation of the XCOM game. Now, granted, you can only do so much of the whole combat against aliens type part, but certainly with regards to having to keep the budget going, for having to do the research and all the cool tech, flying your little interceptors around and defending the base, there's a lot of cool things that this game got right with the XCOM theme. And what really sells it is the app. Apps are the way forward, people. We need more of them in games. I'm saying this now. More apps, please. Because this one, you know, you open the box and there's only so much in it. I mean, you've got a cool board, you've got some nice miniatures, and you've got some, you know, a lot of cards. You've got a fair amount of components in there. But the app is what sells it. The rulebook on the app with the index is easy to use. It's there in the palm of your hand. The, the sound effects are all straight from the game. The look of it is exactly like the game. And it just handles the timed phase where, you know, you're having to do things at a rush speed. And depending how badly or how well you do them will affect future turns. You know, it's an intelligent app. And there's different modes of difficulty to really make this game tough. I mean, this is not an easy game. The only downside possibly is the fact that you can get a bit screwed by the luck with the dice. But again, going back to my discussion earlier, you know, it's the experience getting there. And I've had some really close, phenomenal wins with this where literally we thought we're all going to die, there's no chance. And then we squeak it out and it just, oh, those games are memorable to say the least. XCOM, one of my favourites, number three. Number two is a game that I wish I would get to the table more often. It's hard for me to get this one out of the box because it's got the deck building and it's also got, you know, a reasonable amount of setup and that. And I'm struggling to keep up with the cards. But when I do get it out to play, oh, I enjoy this one for theme, for narrative. You know, it'll be interesting to see how the Arkham LCG compares to this, but I don't think it will replace it. I think it will sit nicely alongside. But this one is my number two, Lord of the Rings, the LCG. This one allows you to do pretty much whatever scenario you want from the Lord of the Rings books and the extended lore. The favourite part of it has to be the saga expansions. Those were fantastic, where you could get characters nap straight out of the movies, effectively, and you could replay those classic bits, you know, like Helm's Deep or the the Battle of Five Armies, etc. And even the normal cycles with all the other like extended lore stuff, like going into you know, um, you know, Dwarrow Deep or whatever it was, the Dwarrow Delph, you know, that dwarf mines and that. Going into Mirkwood with all the spiders, which ugh, creep the hell out of me. I hate those spider pictures. They're really nasty. Yeah. Um, but you know, the other ones where you team up and you get set on a mission by, uh, oh, what was his name? Uh, Saruman, you know, and even the recent one, the, the recent one has you sailing ships and fighting corsairs and has improved the location mechanic where you actually have like a map to go along. Oh, the innovation with this game since it started has really taken off, but the stories that you get when you go through those decks, it's really, it's, I mean, granted, you can get some theme disconnects depending on how you deck build, but you could make some thematic decks and go with it, or you could just try and come up with your own story for why certain characters would hang out with these people and these cards. You know, just rename them if need be. But, oh, you do get, it's very challenging, and it's just rich in theme. It feels really great to play this, and I just wish I could get it to the table more often, but I still have to give props to Lord of the Rings LCG, a fantastic number two.
And my number one, oh yeah, this is going to be a big surprise forever. You know, number one, what can I say? This co-op has been my favourite game of all time for the last, what, like three years. I love it. It is so rich in theme. It is so just joyous to play. And that is Power Grid. No, it's not Power Grid. All right, <laughs> it's like Joe there. No, this is Sentinels of the Multiverse. You knew it. You called it. You knew this was coming. It's no big surprise. I don't know what co-op game is ever going to drop this off the top spot. Hell, I don't even know what's going to drop it off the top spot in my Broken Meal Top 100. Spoiler. Sorry. Uh, but the uh, I do really enjoy this one. I like superheroes. That, this is a fact. I love superhero movies. I would happily read the comics if I had the time. I probably played with figures when I was younger. I played like superhero like PC games and that. But really it's mostly like the movies and board games where I love being superheroes. And this one is just the perfect way for me to do that. Because yes, okay, it's not based on Marvel or DC. You have these like sort of parody versions. Well, not all parody, but you know, they mimic ones that you know. But the fact that you can play your own hero. You have your own deck of cards. You, it's the same bit like Marvel Legendary where you have a team of heroes against one villain. But here you have your own deck. Your deck is unique. It has cards tailored to your hero and your playstyle and your abilities. So you are completely unique. And the variety in heroes is just ridiculous now with all the expansions. And not only do you have the variety in the teams you can have with the other players, but you've got all the different villains to go up against. You've got different environments which change the way the game plays. You know, one day I'm fighting on a, a mystical temple on top of Tibet. And the next time I could be fighting in some weird, you know, mystical dimension realm. A bit like something out of Doctor Strange. And the game way will be completely different as a result because of the stuff that gets thrown at you. Some help you, some don't. But even then, how do they change it even more? They get you to have five heroes against five villains now. So you don't even have to have just one villain. You can have five mini-villains to go up against. Granted, that's a little bit more fiddly to handle. But if you're a veteran at this game, you've got used to that bit already. Especially if you use the uh, companion app. And, you know, now that you've got 15 mini-villains to use, you've now got stupid amounts of combinations there. I just get so much out of this. The co-op teamwork, the social interaction, the artwork is fine with me. It's based like a comic strip, so I don't see why people have to go, Oh, it's horrible, it's disgusting. Oh, come on, you want horrible artwork? Go play Legendary Encounters Firefly and tell me that that artwork is not diabolical. But this one, I'm perfectly fine with the artwork here. It's colourful, it's bright, it parodies a comic strip perfectly. But, oh, and... So much to do. I love role-playing each character. I love the puzzle aspect of trying to work out how best to beat the villain. And the new Kickstarter. Oh my god. I have backed, like, signed copies of the canvas print and everything like that in that Kickstarter Oblivion to have multiple staging areas against this giant, like, Thanos equivalent. Oh, that is going to be so much fun with a big collector's box and everything. I cannot wait till February 2017. When I think that one is going to come out, I think it's February 2017, but you know, around that time, please, I, it pains me that this one is going to be the final expansion. But to be fair, with all the stuff we're getting in Oblivion, I'm pretty content. There's so much there. I'm never going to play every single combination. There's some heroes there I've barely even touched. You know, you know, some that I find, oh my god, how on earth do you master these? And there are some heroes I'm really good with, but it's just so good. Love it, love it, love it. If you love superheroes, this is just the king of superhero games. Full stop. The best co-op that I've ever played, and possibly ever will at this rate, Sentinels of the Multiverse.
Hopefully that didn't take too long, people, but that's where I wrap things up here. So hope you enjoyed that little discussion at the start. I'd be interested to know what you think about the co-op genre. Do you like it? Do you hate it? And if so, why on both sides? Um, if you did like co-ops, then hopefully those top 10 co-op games will give you something new to sink your teeth into, into new ones. But there's so many of them out there. I mean, ones that didn't hit the list, Time Stories, Pandemic Legacy, Ghost Stories, the original Arkham Horror, Shadows of a Camelot... To maybe a lesser extent, Battlestar Galactica, you know, it's still good, a bit long. Forbidden Island, Forbidden Desert, Hanabi, uh, uh, Dead Men Tell No Tales, that's another one. You know, there's loads of great co-op games out there. If you like the genre, you are strapped for choice. It's just ridiculous how many there are. Anyway, I better love you and leave you guys. It's time for me to shoot off because, you know what? I feel like playing another game of Robinson Crusoe after that little castaways victory. Let's tackle another scenario. Oh, I don't know which one. I don't know. Look out for some Twitter pictures. You'll see me put some up as I'm playing it. But that's all for me. Take care. Enjoy working together. And remember, it's only a game. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more about the Broken Meeple, there are various sources for you to choose from. You can check out the written review blog at brokenmeeple.blogspot.co.uk. You can find me on Facebook at The Broken Meeple. You can find me also on Twitter at The Broken Meeple. If you live anywhere near Portsmouth, Hampshire, you can come to one of our board gaming clubs. Search for Portsmouth on board on meetup.com or Facebook and check out our pages. Also, check out my Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash thebrokenmeeple and pledge anything you can to help me get back into video and improve this experience for you. Thanks for listening, take care, enjoy playing games, and from me and everyone else at the Dice Tower, have fun gaming. You're listening to the Dice Tower Network. If you like this show, you might like Boards and Swords, or Flip the Table. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com.